City First Church. How's everybody doing? I'm so glad that you're here today. I know. Haters will hate. Haters will hate. But can I just say this for a second? Has there ever been any fashion item in the history of humankind that has ever been invented better than the starter jacket? Come on. I mean, really? Ever? In fact, how many of you had a starter jacket in the 90s, right? You maybe had a starter pullover. Do you remember the pullover? Had a little pocket right here and stuff like that, a little Velcro pocket. So anyway, yeah, I thought, you know what, I would, uh, I'd wear my starter jacket. This is not my, like, vintage one. That one has gone to heaven, but uh, this is kind of like a replica uh, and such. And so, you know, as it is the big game today, I just want to take a moment. Can we, uh, can we imagine that it is January 26th of 1986? for a moment. As uh, you know, the 1985 Bears have dominated the NFL. There are players on the field like Singletary, Walter Payton, Sweetness, uh, the refrigerator, Jim McMahon, right, right? I, I just have a moment for a second. I can go back in time and time warp for that just a second. You know, speaking of Jim McMahon, it's kind of interesting, a little, little unknown uh, fact here. He has the same amount of Super Bowl rings as Aaron Rodgers. Just, uh, just want to put that out there for a moment. Um, it's, it's, it's the truth. It's the si- follow the science. Follow the science. Uh, Anyway, no, uh, we're having a lot of fun today, and obviously, if you're visiting with us, you know uh, this already, that Jen and I are diehard Bears fans, which means we live in a chronic state of depression, but uh, <laughs> outside of that, now I'm going to take the starter jacket off because honestly, I'm going to be burning up otherwise, um, and, and I need to obviously say, dicka, dicka, yeah, um, <clears throat> but uh, we are in a series called Signs of the Times, and uh, Red Sky Signs of the Times. We're talking about how we as individuals need to be able to read the signs of the times and have wisdom to know what to do, all right? And uh, today, I want to talk about what is the fastest growing religion in America, okay? Fastest growing religion in America, and even people who are seasoned Christ followers many times will co-mingle this fast-growing religion with Christianity. In fact, uh, it's something where it's very pervasive, it's, it's around, it's also dangerous because it is a lie. I want to talk about that, but before I jump into that, let me review why we're even calling this Red Skies Signs of the Times. Some of you are like, what? What Red Skies? Well, if you weren't here last week, I explained that in Matthew chapter 16, there's a story of Jesus and the religious leaders. They were called the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, the Pharisees and Sadducees did not like Jesus. They were constantly trying to trap him into like trick questions and and prove him as false and things like that. It says in verse 1 of chapter 16, some Pharisees and Sadducees badgered him, meaning Jesus again, pressing him to prove himself to them. He told them, you have a saying that goes, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. You find it easy enough to forecast the weather. Why can't you read the signs of the times? In other words, Jesus is going, listen, you can predict the weather by looking at the sky, but you can't look around you and see what is going on around you. You need to discern the signs of the times, which means you and I, as people living now in 2023, need to heed Jesus' advice. We need to know what's going on around us, and we need to have wisdom as to how to live. Um, So last week, just a real quick recap, I talked about how Christianity 
is spreading and flourishing around the globe, except for in the West. In the West, it's stalled out and maybe even in decline. However, uh, Christianity is not dead in America. Um, It may have lost home court advantage, but it is not on the losing team, and God is still moving. And I, I talked about how most people believe that there still is a God. And I used DeMar Hamlin as an example. He was that player for the Bills that collapsed on the field uh, January 2nd and how the world rallied around in prayer. This is actually a quote from him this week as he was at the NFL awards ceremony. Um, He was there live and he said this. He said, my vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player I could be, but God's plan was to have a purpose greater than any game in this world. Isn't that amazing? So awesome. There are signs all around us. And I want to read for you an article uh, from the UK, from the other side of the pond, um, our English brothers and sisters over there. It was in the BBC originally uh, reported. And this, this is interesting. As I read this article, it almost sounds like it could have been written 100 years ago. All right? Like it, it was only 10 years ago. But the language that they're using about something that is normative now makes it sound like they're writing about like the Titanic or something like that. But it says this, it says the first smartphone with a forward-facing camera was the watershed moment, ladies and gentlemen. You only need this second forward-facing camera if you want to take pictures of yourself Could there be any more conclusive indication of the ubiquity of the self-portrait or the selfie? The selfie. The cameras which focus automatically from arm's length invite us to photograph on the spur of the moment regardless of the location or company. Images can be shared with thousands of people. It's immediacy. Look where I am. Look what I'm doing. Look at what I look like. Is exciting. Rihanna Justin Bieber, Lady Gaga, and Madonna are all serial uploaders of selfies. One theory is that the selfie tells other people how we want to be seen. Selfies are most commonly criticized not for their potential risk, but for their associations with vanity and narcissism. Isn't it a bit, well, cringeworthy to take the time to photograph ourselves and assume our friends, not to mention potential strangers, will want to see the results? The increase in sharing of all kinds of personal information and images may have redefined what is normal. When I read that, it almost sounded like a caveman wrote that, like with a smartphone going, uh, 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 selfie, uh, uh, uh. You know, like... Like now we look at it and we're like going selfies, what's the big deal? That was 10 years ago. They just had heard about selfies and introduced it. Now it has become normal. Now is there anything wrong with selfies? Absolutely not. All right, there's nothing wrong with taking a selfie. I take a selfie every once in a while, all right? Um, I know you all follow me on Instagram. You just wait with bated breath to see the next selfie, all right? But, but um, I will tell you that, that there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, it, it is a sign. It's a sign. In fact, uh, the selfie is a sign that's illuminated. It is blinking. It is a bright sign to our culture. You say, what is a sign of? Well, it is a sign of a culture that is undeniably, passionately, and continuously focused on self. 
It really is true. We've seen the uptick of the modern self. In fact, I would call it in the last 10 years, and this is, you know, there's even a book written about this, the rise of the modern self. Now, was it there before 10 years ago? Absolutely. Was it there before the selfie? Yes. But I will tell you, in the last 10 years, it's like gas has been poured on the fire. In fact, if archaeologists were to excavate the ruins of America a thousand years from now, they would write in their findings this. They would say, wow, they really love themselves. In fact, in a book called uh, Good Faith, being a Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme, the authors, David Kinneman and a friend of mine, Dave, or Gabe Lyons, he, uh, they wrote this. They, they studied all kinds of like data, and they even did surveys for this book. 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. 84%. So that, the highest goal in life is to enjoy yourself. Furthermore, 86% believe to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things you desire most. So if what is paramount is enjoying yourself, how you get there is by pursuing the things you desire. So your desires become your true north in life. 91% affirm this statement, to find yourself, look within yourself or look to yourself, you know, in a sense that, that real meaning, real identity, real truth is not out here, it is in here. So ladies and gentlemen, this is the fastest growing religion in America. And you say, what is it called? Well, um, you know, some people have called it this, but I just decided to use the term meism. Meism is the worship of self. And it is not only the fastest growing religion in our culture, it is actually the second oldest religion in the history of humankind. You sit there and you say, well, what was the first? Well, the first was when God created Adam and Eve and they had perfect relationship and perfect communion. You know what? That was the first religion. But then what happened? Well, Satan, in the form of a serpent, was tempting Eve to eat of fruit that she was not supposed to eat of. And her and Adam ate of it. And it says this in Genesis chapter 3. Here's Satan talking to Eve. For God knows that when you eat of this fruit, in a sense, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. In other words, the temptation since the very beginning is we want to be like God. We want to be God. I'm God. I'm in charge. My way or the highway, right? See, humans have been taking that bait, hook, line, and sinker, ever since the garden. Every religion needs a doctrine, though. And meism is a religion. In fact, we all have a faith. Do you understand that? It just may, may not be the Christian faith, but you have a faith. In fact, last week I talked about atheism. Atheism is a faith. People are like, no, no, they don't believe in God. No, that's a faith. That's a belief. It's a doctrine. You actually believe something. You know, the great theologian Bob Dylan one time wrote a song that says that everyone has to serve somebody, right? It's true. We all serve somebody. We maybe serve ourselves, but we serve somebody. We have a faith in something or someone, and every religion needs a doctrine. So, meism has a Ten Commandments. In fact, uh, these are ten doctrines, you could say. First one is this, that uh, you could say commandment number one is you are the source of truth. 
You are the source of truth. Meism says that basically you determine what is true and what is not true. Truth comes from inside of you, not imposed upon you from the outside. Truth, by the way, is also fluid. It's not concrete. Ironically, the modern truth and the modern self tends to look a lot like what I already believe. Number two, second doctrine is this. Your feelings are authoritative and support your truth. In other words, your feelings are real and they are trustworthy. Your feelings lead you towards truth. In other words, we should erase what's on our money and instead put in feelings we trust. Number three, you are an expert about yourself. You are an expert about, no one knows you like you know you. You don't have blind spots, and if you do, they're very, very small blind spots. And if someone points out a fault in you, you should cancel them immediately because they made you feel bad. Haters are anyone who disagree with you or has a truth, an argument, or a belief that is contrary to you. Fourth commandment is this, is your goal is supreme. Your goal is supreme. Your ambition reigns in your life. You are the captain of your own ship. You know best about how to reach your dreams. You get advice only from your echo chamber who believes what you believe. And that also anyone who has information or experience that contradicts the validity of your goals and dreams, again, should not be listened to. Number five, you determine goodness. You determine what is good and not good. There is no standard that you have to align with. Instead, you determine the standard. Good is defined by your views and your circumstances and your feelings. The sixth doctrine is this, is that you are the creator. You are limitless. You are king. You are queen. You shape your world. You can be anything you want to be, even if you have to lie to yourself to become it. Number seven, you are powerful. You are strong. You are mighty. You are brave. You have all that you need. It's getting really quiet in here, by the way. Number eight, got two more commandments to go. Number eight, the ultimate goal is happiness. It's ultimately your goal. Don't let anyone steal your light, your joy, your sparkle, or diminish your right to pleasure. You have a right to pleasure. Number nine, you are not to be held accountable for your choices. You do not deserve the consequences because your choices always had good intentions. So people should see your good intentions and not the result of your actions and should judge you by your heart and not what you do. And the last one is this, if there is another God, he or she is there to support your dreams, your desires, and your ambitions. That God, that purpose, his purpose or her purpose is just to make you happy. If God doesn't intervene the way that you want him to intervene in your circumstances, well then he doesn't exist and he doesn't really love you. And if God does intervene and asks you to live by a different standard, then he is judgy and he is invasive. And God needs to deal with all the evil out there in that world. All the evil, none of the evil in here because I'm a good person. So ladies and gentlemen, there are the ten doctrines of meism. And that is what we as Americans believe, a lot of those doctrines. 
And yes, it is a religion because religions are belief systems that create forms of worship. And if we worship ourselves, then those are the doctrines that we have. But here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's self-deception. And ultimately, it does not lead to a fulfillment in our lives. And here's the thing is that we, uh, we're buying into it as a culture it's all over the place, and I would even say this, that many Christians are even buying into parts of that doctrine, commingling Ten Commandments with Meism Commandments, and all of a sudden we find ourselves with this hodgepodge and this morphine of a, of a faith that isn't truly a Christian faith and isn't truly maybe a Meism faith, it's somewhere in between. There's a cross-pollination of these beliefs. And even as I'm sharing these things today, right now, some of you, you are more aware and some of you are very angry with me as I said this, these things. In fact, I've maybe even have offended you. And that is not my goal today. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm trying to point out what is really the overarching prevailing thoughts of our culture. And quite honestly, if I do say so myself, I think I nailed it. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Some of you might even be listening going, but doesn't God want us to be happy? Well, yes. In fact, um, can I say this? The best lie is 95% true. And each one of those commandments that I gave you has a little thread of truth in them. There is a truth in them. They aren't all lies. It's just part lie, which makes it a lie. And you know, all of them there is this foundational question we must ask ourselves today. And the question is this, who is in charge of your life and who is the source? That's what we really got to ask. Who's in charge and who's the source? Well, the modern self would answer me. I'm in charge and I'm the source. The Christ follower would answer, not me, Jesus. Jesus is in charge. He is the source. Really, it comes down to that. All of those doctrines need to boil down to that simple question. And God will allow us to be able to um, bend our knee at the altar of meism. He'll allow us to do it. He will not force us to love him. He will not force us to follow his commands. He will not force us to follow him and his son, Jesus. He won't do that. In fact, I think C.S. Lewis, one of the best, greatest minds of the uh, 19th century, uh, 20th century, excuse me, he, he basically, he wrote this. He said this. He goes, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who God, say to God, thy will be done. In other words, they say, thy will be done. And those whom God says in the end, no, thy will be done. See, it's either thy will be done or thy will be done. All right? And uh, it's easy, really, to take on the, uh, the faith of this culture because it has been around forever, like the movie, forever, since the garden. In fact, 2,000 years ago, even, um, Paul wrote this to his young protege, Timothy, about uh, the world that he was living in. This was in the first century. said this, he goes, uh, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, in fact, he thought he was living in the last days, but it's still apply, applicable to us today, says in the last days there will be difficult times where people will, listen, love only themselves and their money. Is that 2023? Yes. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, 
disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, they will consider nothing sacred. Anybody watch the Grammys? They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure, the ultimate goal in life, pleasure rather than God. Listen, they will act religious. Is that interesting? But they will reject the power that could make them godly. Is that wild? They Basically, stay away, Paul says to Timothy, stay away from people like that. What are the signs of the times? Well, very simple, that people will love and worship themselves. That's what's happening right now. Now, uh, again, up until this point, I probably have either made you uh, happy or, or sad. Um, don't walk out. Don't, don't turn off the broadcast. Don't click off the online feed, all right? Here's the reason why. I want us to talk about how to live a life that truly is fulfilling. I want to talk about how you can have the life you've always dreamed of. In fact, I'd even put it this way, the life that God has dreamed for you, all right? Do you understand that? So, so here's the thing. Here's the question. What are we to do about it? If we're, if we're uh, like the sons of Issachar, I talked about that last week, if we know the signs and know what to do, okay, if these are the signs of the times, then what are we to do, all right? Well, the answer is um, sounding somewhat cliche. It almost sounds like a bumper sticker, okay? But it is literally revolutionary, the answer on how we're supposed to live is this. Let Jesus inform the way you live. Let Jesus inform the way that you live. Now, I know, you know, you don't get a, a huge round of applause because like, oh, give me something more than that. No, that is how you find real life. You look to Jesus and he informs us on how we're supposed to live. In fact, yeah, you can give that a round of applause. Some of you are like, want to do that. John 10.10, Jesus is being quoted. He says, I came so that they can have real, turn the person next to you and say real, real and eternal life, more and better. Turn the other person and say more and better. Don't you want more and better life? I mean, I want more and better life. More and better life than what? Than they ever dreamed of. Jesus is like, hey, listen, my way, it's not my way or the highway, it's my way if you want more and better. I think all of us want more and better life than what we're seeing around us, right? So how do you do that? Well, you, you live the way that Jesus wants you to live. And I'm going to kind of wrap today by giving you just three simple thoughts that, that are derived from Jesus, all right? He had many teachings, but I'm boiling it down to three things. First one is this. Choose to follow. Choose to follow. Choose to follow. Now, now, really, we are to live a life not of just blazing our own trail, but instead following the one who does blaze the trail, following Jesus. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give up your own way, right? Me way. Give up your own way. And take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. You'll lose it. It's like gravity. You can't get over it. It, 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 it is a law in a sense, all right? You will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
And what you do, or what uh, do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus asks. You see, Jesus used some really weird language. Take up your cross. We've made that now an idiom. It's kind of something we say, like, take up your cross, you know? But, but I want you to imagine 2,000 years ago, Roman Empire, this is how they executed thieves. They put them on the cross. In fact, the word excruciating comes from the root word that means pain from the cross. In other words, you know, it was the most excruciating way to die. And Jesus is talking to that first century group of people, and he's like, hey, listen, if you want to really live the best life, um, take up your cross. That would be like Jesus standing on the stage and going, um, if you want to live the best life, get in your electric chair every day and flip the switch. Now, all of you would be like, excuse me? None of you would be like, yeah, amen. There'd be a, a, a quiet kind of solemn kind of tone in the crowd if Jesus said that to us. And here Jesus says, take up your cross. What he's really saying there is this. He's saying every day choose his way, not your way. That's what he's really saying there. He's using it as a metaphor. He's going, don't choose meism, choose to follow Jesus. Follow. Don't be a person that goes my way. Rather, say, Jesus, your way. Second thing is Jesus would say this, love yourself second. Love yourself second, not first, second. Matthew chapter 22 says this, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And listen, a second is equally important. What? Love your neighbor. What is that? As yourself. God first, you and others second. Love God, love people, and then you'll love life. You ever heard that before, by the way? Love God, love people, love life. See, here's where meism isn't completely wrong. Remember I told you that every lie is 95% true? Well, one of the, the beliefs of meism is love yourself, and that is not false. In fact, you are to love yourself. The problem is, is our culture loves ourselves out of balance. In fact, in order to love other people like your neighbor, you need to love yourself. You can't hate yourself and love someone else. Those people that hate themselves don't love other people. If you reject yourself, you can't love your neighbor. So a healthy and a balanced love of self is required in order to love others. I would, I would say kind of this is a good way of putting it. Don't be in love with yourself, love yourself. See, we're in a society that's in love with ourselves. I'm not in love with myself, but I love myself. There's a proper way to love yourself, and the way to do that is to understand and to hold on to what God says about you. He's the creator, you're the creation. The creator had in mind a purpose and a love for his creation. So therefore, go to his word and see what he says about you. Then you hang on to those things. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the apple of God's eye. You are created on purpose and for a purpose. Do you know that God's thoughts for you are as many as the sand on the beach, the Bible talks about? I mean, as many granulars, grain, uh, grain of sand. <laughs> Let me say that right. Granule little pieces of sand. As many of those that are on a beach is how many thoughts, positive thoughts that God has for you every single day. 
Your worth is not your bank account. It is not your appearance. It's not your success. It is not how many likes or views you have. It is not the talent or the abilities that you have. Instead, your worth is found in God's unconditional love and the fact that he loved you so much, he sent his one and only son to die for you so that he can have a relationship with you. If God is for you, no one can be against you. So now go love your neighbor. You understand? That's how we're supposed to see things. Last thing and in closing, choose to obey. I know that word obey, that word obey. We don't like that word as Americans. We don't want to obey anybody it's like, we're, we're in charge. Well, Jesus says, no, because I died for you and I saved you and I rescued you, now serve me, he says. Serve me. Obey. In fact, John, in the book of John, it quotes Jesus as saying this, if you love me, obey my commandments. So, so if we really love Jesus, we can't just be like, I love God. Okay, no, no, no. If you love God, you obey his commandments. And in a culture that does the opposite, we must be holy. Now, that word holy sometimes feels like a stuffy, old-fashioned word, like holy. It's like, oh, whoa. Well, you know the word holy is actually an English word that comes from the Anglo-Saxon word halig. Halig means well-whole. In other words, holy really means healthy. Whatever is holy is healthy. Healthiness or holiness is living with guardrails and restraints. How many of you know that you can't be physically healthy if you eat anything you want? You have to have restraint. Well, in the same way, if you want to have a healthy life, a healthy soul, a healthy mind, a healthy spirit, you must have guardrails. Like if we lived in Colorado right now, and some of you watching maybe are living in Colorado, you know if you drive up the Rockies, especially in the winter, it's two lanes up these like roads, and there's like a thousand foot drop on the other side of the road. They put guardrails up. The reason why they put a guardrail up is so you don't fall to your death. You don't drive off of the cliff, right? No one driving up these roads are driving and looking at those guardrails and going, oh, what killjoys. I can't believe the Department of Transportation put those guardrails there. They're so restrictive. I want freedom to be able to drive off the cliff. No one is saying that. Why? Because they're thankful. They're like, thank God if I lose control, I'll hit the guardrail. I won't die. <laughs> I'll be healthy. It's the same way with holiness and obeying God. It isn't restrictive. It actually gives you life. It gives you health. It keeps you safe. And if you want to live a healthier and a more satisfying life, you live with guardrails. The truth is, if you ignore holiness over time, you forfeit happiness. It's really true. And we live in a society that doesn't want guardrails. Don't restrict me. I want to drive off the cliff if I want to. No, no, no. We've been living for ourselves. How's that working out for us? Why don't you look at the stats on depression, and look at the stats on self-hate, and look on the stats on a life, people who feel like they're not satisfied with their life. Look at all the data, not just the Christian data. Look at like the science, all right? And I will tell you that living a holiness life is the best way of living. A life with guardrails, it actually gives you freedom. I know it's backwards thinking, but actually a life with restrictions and guardrails actually is a freeing life. 
You know, when we live a holy life, we live a life that is like a song joining the song that is the oldest song in the universe. You say, what's the oldest song? It's not Amazing Grace. It's not Shout to the Lord. <laughs> it's not some hymn. The oldest song has actually been sung for eternity past. We hear about it in the book of Isaiah as the angels like a cloud are surrounding the throne room and they are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy. And when we live a life of holiness, we join in that song of the angels. The song that has been forever sung. Before we close, before I give a dismissal here, I want you to listen with not just your ears, but with your spirit. We are to live a life of holiness, which brings freedom. It's the best way to live. It's the life that the Creator designed for us. And listen to this song and realize that not only do we serve a holy God, but our lives of holiness join in on that chorus. Listen to this.
leaving I'm almost done just bow our heads and close our eyes and two things first of all if you say I've been listening Jeremy to what you said today and even though it's maybe it's been a little bit hard to listen to maybe you might say I've kind of given into that whole meism thing I I kind of been looking to myself for solutions answers truth identity whatever and today I realize I need, I need to look to Jesus, the one that created me, who loves me, that died for me. And if today, if you want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're not joining a church. This has nothing to do with denominations, Catholic, Presbyterian, Protestant, some was a God, whatever. It has nothing to do with that. Today, if you say, I want to just become a son and daughter of God, I want to be making him today the leader of my life, him in charge. I want to be second. <laughs> I want him to be first. I want to have that life that is to the fullest. That means it's going to be a perfect life. But you have now the God of the universe that is with you as a best friend. If that's you, and uh, you say, I want to pray a prayer and make him the leader of my life, just raise your hand and put it right back down, okay? Yeah, hands are up everywhere, everywhere. I guarantee it. every location, Cape, God Behind Bars, City First Anywhere here at Spring Creek. Can we all say this prayer together? Just simply. And if you raise your hand when you say this prayer, God's listening to your voice. Not to us collectively, to your voice. So pray this prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me and rose again. I want to live for you. I accept your unconditional love. Be my leader. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for everybody that prayed that prayer and also for those of us that prayed that prayer a long time ago. God, we want to be people who follow you. 
We want to love ourselves second. We do want to love ourselves, but second to you and to love others. And lastly, help us to live a life to obey. Live a life that you want us to live. Not get sucked into the tractor beam of all the value systems and beliefs of this culture, but Lord, may we really, really live the way that you want us to live. And God, give us life and life to the fullest. Give us the life that you promised, a life of purpose, a life of forgiveness, a life of grace, and a life of holiness. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, give God praise.